Well, good morning, church. It's just another ordinary Sunday, right? I know we're going to have to work hard to get you guys fired up this morning. So, hey, the celebration begins now, right? The celebration begins now. Let's stand up and let's praise our God. down to bring the world to life. Hope came dancing on an empty grave. Death has lost its rule to the King of Grace. Be the crown and the light and sounds. Be the fire burning inside out. Be the Casting out all fear Let your name Will the atmosphere
may be seated. We're so glad that you're here to worship with us today, and um, we're going to continue in this spirit of celebration with the giving of our tithes and offerings, and so as the... Uh After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, He is a good man. Others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? 
Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths which you have revealed through your scriptures. And we, we just ask as we come to them this morning that we would come with, with hearts that are open and ready to hear what you would have to show us, Lord, um, that we would draw closer in obedience, that we would come to truly know you, and, uh, and that we would be transformed in doing it. We can't have an encounter with you without being transformed, Lord. And so I pray that you would soften our hearts. And I pray that you would reveal yourself today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, good morning. Uh, my name is Ezra. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm so glad uh, to be with you this morning and have this opportunity to explore uh, the seventh chapter of John's gospel with you uh, this morning. And... Um, Man, it's, it's an exciting day. Super Bowl Sunday is always exciting, right? Like, it's always a fun day. There's good food. There's weird commercials. There's, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's lots of good stuff. But, um, but this is a, a rare and special holiday, more rare than we would want it to be as, as fans of the Eagles, right? Like, we, we would hope that this would be a, a yearly occasion, but, uh, but, but let's celebrate this for what it is. It's, it's, it's an exciting day where the hometown team... Um, has made it to the, to the biggest game. And, uh, and whether you're a football fan or not, and uh, whether you're even a fan of another team, you might be a diehard fan of a, of a different team, and, and that's okay. You're welcome here. There's grace for all, right? <laughs> but you can't help but to, uh, to, to see and be excited about the, um, the, the passion and the, the energy that, that's in the city uh, right, right now. Uh, Trina and I had a, an opportunity to get away this past week, and uh, we were down in Florida, and we, we were flying back, and our flight got delayed uh, a couple different times and ended up taking off two hours late, and it was already a late flight, so we didn't get in the air until like 9.45 
And, um, but the people that were on the flight with us were uh, like joyous. And they, they did the Eagles uh, fight song four different times throughout the course of the flight. Um, and the girls that started it were horrible singers. So I was always like, hey, fly! And we're like, what? <laughs> I don't, I, even if I want to join you, I don't know how to jump in on what you're doing right now. But um, it was just unbridled enthusiasm that went over and above their talent level, right? Um, but even landing, you know, we're driving home at one in the morning and you're seeing the buildings lit up in green and you're seeing the things that are usually, the stands that are usually set up for fireworks on the 4th of July and Easter lilies are now set up with Eagles paraphernalia at the gas station, right? It's, a, it's this crazy weird thing and, uh, and we're excited about it. It's a, it, it, it's a great time uh, to be in Philadelphia. And uh, so we want to acknowledge that, we want to enjoy it. And, uh, and it's very likely that, that today you're going to be in a conversation with somebody and it's going to go, well, hey, what do you think is going to happen? Who's going to win? And the question is this, how do we know uh, whether somebody's opinion or judgment is valid? Is, is it worth listening to, right? So you might run into somebody and they're like, hey, you know, I, I really think the Eagles are going to win. Oh, yeah, why, why is that? Well, you know, I've just been a fan since I was as long as I can remember, and I've been through so many difficult times and ups and downs, and, and I just feel like this is their time, right? And so you might say, like, hey, a lot of emotion. <laughs> I appreciate that. You haven't really given me much reason to put my hope in the fact that they're actually going to win, but I realize for you that that's a powerful and meaningful thing, and that, and, and that makes sense. But you might not put a lot of stock in that. You might talk to somebody else uh, if it's just a, an average fan, and they might be like, hey, you know, uh, you know, I think yeah, the, I don't really follow, but I'm, I'm thinking the Patriots are going to win. Vegas has them ahead. They've got Tom Brady. Like, that's the obvious thing. So, yeah, they'll, that, they'll probably do it. And as, as a, an Eagles fan, you'll be like, but no, don't you realize how our, our defensive line is strategically situated to put pressure on, you know what I mean, like, and you'll go into all these reasons why just, yeah, at first glance it might seem like that, but, but we really have a chance to win this thing. Or you might talk to somebody on the other end of the crazy spectrum that is like, well, man, I just know we're going to win because Nick Foles is just flat out better than Tom Brady. I mean, that's a fact. And, uh, <laughs> and you might look at him and say, hey, I like your enthusiasm. I'm not holding the same reasons as you. And so the reality is that people can arrive at the same uh, opinions for a lot of different reasons. And, uh, and that's kind of what we see happening in this passage here, that Jesus is dealing with the crowd, the wisdom of the crowd, the ebb and flow of the crowd, the logic of the crowd. And uh, what we're going to see is, that, is the crowd, there's a lot of really distancing and negative things that happen in a crowd mentality. Uh, as human beings... Well, we gravitate towards crowds, right? If you see a bunch of people, if you see like 20 people walk down your street towards something, you're going to be like, what's going on? I need to go out. I need to go out of my house and I need to go look down my street. I got to figure out what's happening because everybody's going there, right? And, and there's safety in numbers. And so when you're in a crowd, you feel like, you feel like you're protected. Uh, and so we, we, uh, it's part of our innate nature that we want to kind of go with the crowd. Uh, but in this passage, we see a lot of the negatives of the crowd, on display. And throughout the Gospels, uh, we see uh, these different layers of interaction that Jesus has. Jesus interacts with the crowds, which is just anybody who wants to come kind of check out what's going on. And then from the crowds, we go to the disciples, those that are actually following Jesus. And then we go down to the 12. And then ultimately, we go down to his inner circle of Peter, James, and John, the, the three, right? And so the closer you get to Jesus, the more impact he's having in your life. And so there were those, as Brian shared last week, there were people that came out uh, and experienced this miracle, the fishes and the loaves. They were fed 
bread that was given to them miraculously. But what happened? The next day, they're like, where can we get more bread, right? Where did Jesus go? Let's walk all the way to the other side of the lake and see if he can give us some more bread. And, and when they got there, Jesus was like, no, no, you don't get it. You're, you're looking for something to fill your stomach, but I'm trying to give you something more. You need to partake of my flesh and drink of my blood. And, and they were like, so there's not bread? <laughs> and when they found out there was no bread to fill their bellies, they left. They walked away. The crowd is fickle. The crowd can turn. The same crowd that, that waved palm branches before Jesus as he entered into Jerusalem just a few days later was shouting, crucify him. And they actually said, hey, get, we'll release Jesus to you as a, as a gift. And they're like, no, we don't want Jesus. Give us a different criminal. Well, what should we do with Jesus? Crucify him, right? Some of those that had eaten the bread, some of those that had seen the paralyzed man made whole, and a short time later are chanting, crucify him. And so there's a danger in the, in the crowd in that kind of way. And, and Jesus says in this passage, in the pivotal point in, in, in everything in John 7 is when he says, hey, are you thirsty? Come to me, and if you believe in me, I will put in you wells of, of, of living water that will spring forth, that you'll be a, a source of a river of living water that will flow out of you. You'll go from being a consumer, you'll be one who's thirsty, who needs to continually be filled up, to being one that is a vessel that is used by God to fill others up. That's where we want to get to. And so that's what we're exploring this morning. How do we go from being just another face in the crowd? How do I know if I'm functioning in a way that just kind of puts me in the crowd? And how do I get myself into a place where I'm being used by Jesus uh, for the benefit and the blessing and the glory of others? That's where we're going to go. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a continual learner. Anybody else here like a lifelong learner? And so one of the things I learned in the first sermon is that I have way too much information for, <laughs> for the allotted amount of time that we have. And so, um, so I really want to dig into the, the heart of what we're going for here this morning. And so I have, it's John chapter 7. Um, I'm not a big numbers guy, but I have seven, seven, seven observations about the difference between the crowd and a disciple. And so we're going we're gonna to look at these. Some of them will hit kind of quickly. I want to land on a couple of them a little bit longer, but, but let's begin to look through here today. And so uh, we'll have it up here on the screen for you. Uh, the first observation is that the crowd wants to use Jesus for their own gain, but a disciple wants to be used by Jesus for his gain. The crowd wants to use Jesus to get ahead, but a disciple says, Jesus, use me so that you can get ahead. Use me to advance your name. Now, uh, we're told here that there was a feast that was going on. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. It was when they came together to remember the time that they had spent in the wilderness in exile when they were tabernacles or tents. And so there was a long period in the history of Israel where they were living in tents. And so there was this, this cool thing that God did with the nation of Israel. He, he commanded them on certain holidays and festivals to stop what they were doing, uh, to leave their work, to leave their, their fields, to leave their crops, to leave their, their herds, and to come to Jerusalem to remember to set aside time to celebrate what God had done for them. Uh, it's a reminder of God's sovereign lordship. It's a reminder that everything that they have is a gift from him. Uh, it's a reminder that, hey, I can walk away from this, and when I come back, the field is going to still be there uh, because God is sovereign over all things. Um, and so there was a religious value to it, but there was also a communal value to it. Because a bunch of people from Nazareth, if they're going up for the festival, they would all go together. They would kind of caravan. It was like early versions of tailgating, right? But, uh, 
but with a much more uh, religious uh, context to it. But they would, they would all travel together for the same reasons we talked about. There's safety in numbers, there's community, there's fellowship, and so, so they would go together. And so what we see happening here is that uh, Jesus' brothers uh, say to him, hey, like, I know you're on the run and they're trying to kill you and everything, but hey, don't you think you should go up to Jerusalem and, and kind of show off some of these miracles that you've been doing? Don't, don't you think they want to see them up there? And it says here something really sad, right? What does it say? It says, for not even his brothers believed in him. Now, the most uh, logical understanding of this is that these are, these are sons of, of Mary and Joseph who were born after Jesus. Jesus was born of, of Mary when she was a virgin, and so, uh, so he was born. And then after that, Mary and Joseph went on to have uh, a normal married life, and God blessed them with children, brothers and sisters, we're told in the Scriptures. And so these are brothers who had grown up, younger brothers of Jesus who had grown up. They'd seen him. Uh, they'd known him, but, uh, but sadly it says they didn't believe in him. And some of you have experienced this in your own life where um, when you came to faith in Christ and he said, man, I'm a new creation. I'm, I'm changed. I'm a different person. And the hardest people to convince were the people in your own household. The ones that should have been celebrating with you, the ones that should have understood you better than anyone are the ones that cast doubt, that don't believe. And so Jesus' brothers were, were not saying, hey, Jesus, I want you to do what's best for you. They were saying, hey, we're going to be going up to the festival, and man, if you were rolling with us, if, if we were your entourage, man, the crowds would be coming, it would be, it would be exciting. Uh, they were thinking selfishly of what it would benefit for them to have Jesus in their, in their traveling party going up and not thinking about what it meant for him. And Jesus essentially says, hey, I get it. The world is always going to be open to you. If you want to pursue the good life, pursue uh, fellowship, pursue, pursue these things, the world won't oppose you, but the world is opposed to me because I'm bringing, I'm bringing light into darkness. And so you can go up, but I'm, now's not the right time for me. And uh, in, in the English translation here, it's, it's like, man, did Jesus just lie to his brothers because he said he wasn't going up and then he went up? So what's going on with that? But, but in, the, in the actual Greek, there's, there's kind of room there to kind of say, I'm not going now. I'm not going yet. I'm not going at this time. And so Jesus was saying, hey, I'm not going up with you guys. I'm not going in a grand procession. But then as he prayed and, and God spoke to him, God said, hey, I, I want you to go up. And so he went up quietly. He went up without fanfare, without pageantry, without an entourage, <laughs> without proclaiming it. And he just kind of made his way into the city unknown. We begin here. What are, how are you engaging with Jesus? Is it for your benefit or is it for his? When you think about your Christian life and the things that you do, is the motivation primarily for the benefit that you receive out of it? Or is the benefit, or is the motivation primarily uh, to bring glory to Jesus regardless of the cost? Even if it's more difficult. Even if it makes things harder. We begin by looking at that. The second thing we see is that the crowd, it, it describes them as muttering, Right? They're muttering this and that about Jesus, and some of them, it seems like there's a division. Some seem positively inclined towards Jesus, some ne seem negatively inclined, but, but what the passage shows us is that they're really just two different sides of the same coin. They're muttering, right? Some are like, hey, I think Jesus might really be the Messiah, and others are saying, nah, he's misleading people, whatever, and Shh, here they come, Shh. right? They were, they were fearful to have anyone hear them say it. They were fearful of the leaders. They were operating out of fear. They didn't want to be bold and proclaim it. Uh, uh, the crowd mutters and whispers about Jesus, but a disciple speaks boldly and fearlessly about Jesus. Uh, as we were away this week, we were, um, 
we were hanging out by the pool, and there was this, uh, this uh, older couple that came, and uh, it was pretty apparent right from the time they came on the scene that they were looking to, to chat it up with anybody that was, <laughs> was willing to talk. And so we overheard some of the conversations that were going on, and they were waiting for the room to be ready. And so, um, so I go over, and I just kind of stick my feet in the water, and the guy's like, hey, is it wet water? And I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, is the water wet? And I was like, yeah, it is wet water. <laughs> And so I was like, clearly this guy wants to have a conversation with me, right? And so, uh, so I walk over and we start talking and he's just uh, telling me about the different times he'd visited there and asked me a little bit about, um, about myself. And I told him I was a minister and he's like, he's like, oh, he's like, you know, he's, he's like, hey, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a Orthodox Jew and, um, but, um, but he shifted the conversation. What he wanted me to understand clearly at that point was this, I've traveled all around the world. I've met people of different religions and races, and what I've found is everywhere I've gone, there are a lot of nice people. And the subtext to that was, hey, I know you're a pastor, and you're probably judgmental, and you're probably very narrow, and you probably hate everyone that doesn't believe what you believe, but I just want you to know that I've been out in the world, and I've seen that there's a lot of good people. <laughs> and, uh, and so I said, hey, I was like, you know, I was like, hey, just like, just like you, I believe what Scripture tells us, that we're created in the image of God. And so... Um, so yeah, I believe there are a lot of really nice, good people, and, and that we're all born with the capacity to reflect our Creator. That there's there's something in, in us that that mirrors God's creativity and His love and His compassion, and I think we all have that in us. So so I agree with you. I'm not surprised that that um, that you had men in Iran buy you dinner, and that you had uh, different people that you've met. Uh, I was like, man, I, I totally believe that. I was like, I was like, the question for me though is like, how good is good enough? <laughs> You know, as like as a pastor, I'm not trying to push people towards division. I was like, I don't, I don't stir up disunity. I don't tell people to hate anyone. I encourage people to love everyone the way Jesus did. But, um, but I, I feel like my job is to help people ask deep questions, right? If there is a God, as we believe there is, how can I have a right relationship with Him? If I think I'm a good person, can I just rest on my own judgment of myself, or is there some sort of external objective that I know I need to to reach? Um, I didn't say it as eloquently as that, but that was basically what I was getting at, right? And, um, and, uh, and so we had, we had a good discussion, and I would love to tell you that, man, I just proclaimed Jesus, and right there on the spot, he gave his life, and I baptized him in that pool at age 93. <laughs> Sadly, that's not what happened, and, and, and to be transparent and honest with you, there was a lot of it during the conversation. I'm, I'm just kind of praying as I'm talking, like, God, give me the right words. I feel like I'm not connecting in the, in the way that I want to. I, 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 I wish I could help him see <laughs> what I want him to see, but um, but I did say to him, I said, hey, you know, I, I was like, I've always been curious about this. And, you know, uh, since we're talking about it, you know, the, I know the temple was destroyed in AD 70. And so there's been no place to do sacrifices. And the sacrifices were kind of at the heart of, of the Jewish faith of, of atoning for sin. And so I'm just curious, like, how do you guys view that? Like, how, do, how, how is sin atoned for? How do you do sacrifice? And he's like, he's like man, I'm 92 years old. And I don't know. <laughs> he's like, that's a really good question. He's like, I have to get back to you on that. Um, he's like, I'm sure you could Google it. <laughs> and, uh, like, that's true. That's true. Man, I hope I planted a seed. Uh, you know, and that's all. And, and, and I also walked out. I was like, man, God, I, I, I want to I, I be even better. You know, I, I want to be able to speak even more boldly and more powerfully. I want to know how to, to really inject Jesus into conversation in a way that is helpful for people. Um, but I really do. It, it actually, I hope it was helpful for him. I hope it was helpful for the, the people that were sitting around us at the pool that could all overhear our conversation. I don't know what God might do with that. Um, but it, it affirmed in my heart just that, that it's really my job and it's our job 
uh, to help people think deeply about the big questions of life. Uh, because, the, because the gospel provides really satisfying answers to the biggest questions. And that was kind of the problem with the crowd. The crowd was just, they just wanted to float along the surface, right? If you ask the crowd, like, hey, what about this? Well, I don't know. I never thought of that. That's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. You could Google it. <laughs> but for us as followers of Jesus, we say, hey, I realize, man, I just reckon, I look at my life and I know I'm more broken than, than I care to admit. I put a good face forward, but, but man, I, I know my thoughts. I know my weaker moments, how I fail to be the good person that I strive to be. And so that, that gives me concern when I have to go and face a perfect and holy and righteous God. But because of what the Bible tells me, it says that Jesus died in my place. And that instead of having to pay for my sins, Jesus has paid for those sins. And his perfect record of righteousness is placed upon me. And so it's available to everyone in the whole entire world. There's not a person who's been born for whom this is not available and accessible. It's our job to share that good news with them. But, but it provides these deep answers. If you're, if you're going to divide the world into good and bad people, who decides who's good and who's bad? If it's God, wouldn't it be fair if he told us what the, the measuring stick is so that we would know? <laughs> and so the more that we can dig into those kind of questions, the more that the gospel makes more and more sense and roots more deeply and deeply in our lives. But, but that's what happens in relationship. That's not what happens in the crowd, right? As, as, the, as my friends on the airplane were singing the Eagles fight song, I didn't really get to know them at a level. I felt like I was part of something with them, but I, but I didn't get to a deeper level. That happens in relationship. That's what we talked about this morning, this, this core value of relationship. How do, we, how do we interact with the people in a way that begins to, to really impact their life? How do we speak boldly and fearlessly about Jesus? The crowd seeks glor to glorify celebrities, but a disciple recognizes those that glorify God. They looked at Jesus and they said, where did he get this teaching? He didn't study in the seminaries. He did how on earth did he come up with these amazing teachings? And Jesus said, no, no, I'm not, this isn't my teachings. I'm just teaching you what the Father has been teaching you from the beginning. I'm just bringing to light what he was showing you. And there's a real danger in our, in our Christian subculture um, that, uh, that we have to always ask that when we're watching a pastor on a podcast or on TV or on this stage or, or in a book or wherever. We got to say, hey, is this person really uh, pointing me to what God's truth? Or is he trying to profess that he has this new enlightened truth that no one has ever discovered before? Right? We've got to be really wary of the one that says, hey, I'm going to teach you something you've never heard before. You've got to come back here for the next seven installments so I can lay out for you this incredible vision that, that God has given to me and only me to share with you. Right? I'm skeptical of that. I was like, man, if it's that important, God probably isn't just telling you. <laughs> he's, probably, he's probably put it in his word, right? It's probably in here if it's that important. That's where one of my, uh, my, my top favorite... Um, pastor to read and listen to right now is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a British pastor uh, from a little while back. And the thing that I love about him is he's continually saying, look, look what I'm telling you this. This has been in the Bible. Look, isn't this what the Bible says? Look at back at Genesis. Isn't this exactly, isn't what we see today exactly what God was describing back then? And it's, it's so life-giving because he's basically just taking me and he's saying, grabbing me by the hand and saying, here, come look at what God said in his word. Isn't this amazing? That's the kind of teachers that you want to listen to. And that's, uh, by God's grace, that's what we're trying to do here at Riverside. We're just trying to take you and say, look what, look what the Bible says. <laughs> let's read it together. <laughs> let's, let's apply it into our lives, into our hearts. 
And so we want to be not glorifying people. We want to recognize those that are glorifying God. The crowd embraces logical inconsistency, but a disciple lives a consistent life of gospel fluency. Jesus called them out on their inconsistency. He said, hey, you guys keep identifying yourself uh, with Moses. You say, we're Moses people. We're people of the law. We're people of God's, God's the Pentateuch, the five books. That's, what, that's who we are. That's our identity. And Jesus said, I know that you claim that, but you're not living it out. <laughs> you're all breaking the laws that you claim identify you. It's the law that's actually showing you that you're in big trouble. Because you're, you're basing your righteousness on this law that you're not able to keep. And then you're, you're hypocritical because you, you were commanded in the law that you have to circumcise a male child on the eighth day. And so even if it's the Sabbath, you're willing to do that to, to keep the law. But, but when I came and I healed someone, when I made them whole, when I made them a new creation on the eighth day, uh, on the Sabbath, that you wanted to kill me. He's like, you're hypocrites. Like, don't, don't judge with a wrong heart. Judge with God's heart. Look at things through the eyes of our creator. Are you living a life of consistency? Are you, are you living a life that's, that's in keeping with what you would profess? And hey, listen, I, I, uh, I, I'm a broken sinner just like the rest of you. Um, but I don't revel in that. I don't love that identity. Um, I'm also a new creation by the grace of God. That's the identity that I'm pursuing. And so when I, when I, when I mess up, and I do, <laughs> I, I'm not surprised by it. I'm disappointed. I strive uh, to live in the way that Jesus, I, I want to please uh, Jesus because of what he's done for me. And so what God has done in me is he's not made me perfect, but he's He's turned my heart to love the things that he loves and hate the things that he hates. And I'm in process, and there's areas where he's still working on me and still changing and still growing my heart, and I think that you are as well. But don't embrace a logical inconsistency. If God shows you something in your life that needs to go, if somebody who, who loves and cares about you and love comes and speaks the truth and says, hey, I see this happening, it just doesn't make sense to me based on what I know you believe, are you bold and brave enough to allow God to transform your heart? Or are you just willing to live in, in this logical inconsistency and, and to live in, in, in a place that doesn't make sense? They were also seeking to do that in this. They were seeking to put God in a box. They were basically saying, hey, the, the Messiah has to come. Uh, we're not supposed to know where the Messiah comes from. And we know that he, he came from Nazareth and his mom and dad are Mary and Joseph. So therefore, he can't be the Messiah. And then another one said, hey, wasn't the Messiah supposed to come from Bethlehem? But Jesus is from Galilee, so, so, so he can't be the Messiah. Even when they were right, they were wrong. Because <laughs> they were right about Bethlehem, but they didn't know Jesus' birth narrative. They didn't know that he was born in Bethlehem because of the census. And so, so we look at Scripture and we see it all put together. They could only see a piece of it. But the problem was, as soon as they came up against a hurdle that, that challenged their belief, they gave up. Oh, I guess he's not the one. I guess that wasn't it. Oh, well. How hard are you pushing in? When you come up against things, and we come up against these, right? There's things in the Bible that are, that are hard to understand, and sometimes that we wish it said something different. But are you willing to push into it? Are you willing to say, Lord, I want to understand your truth. I believe this is, this is for my good. I believe that you gave this to me because you love me, and if I'm struggling with this piece of it, I'm going to struggle until you show me why this is what your heart says. 
don't let go, right? I, I love the story of Jacob wrestling with the Lord in the, in the Old Testament. You have to go back and read it, right? But, but he wrestled all night long, an impossible wrestling. How could he ever beat God, right? But he wrestled with him all night, and because he wouldn't stop wrestling with him, God gave him a blessing. Are you wrestling with the stuff that you're having a hard time understanding and say, God, I want to know the truth. Show me the truth. Or are you just kind of being like, well, yeah, I don't know. I guess it doesn't make sense. I don't know. Here's, here's the one that I love. I hope this is the one I'm on. The crowd is full of consumers. Nope. <laughs> the crowd is confused and gives up easily. A disciple prayerfully and persistently seeks understanding. I kind of wrapped that into that last one, so let's move on. The crowd is full of consumers. Disciples are overflowing vessels of living water. Man, this is, this is it. Um, man, if you get one thing today, zone in on this. Jesus came to the crowd and he said, hey, are you thirsty? Do you lack something? Is there something that you desire? Is there something that you need? Come to me. Believe in me. And I will make it so that, that rivers of living water flow out of your heart. And this is the great identifier for us to look and say, hey, am I part of the crowd or am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I just coming to church because it's kind of what happens? Am I just doing it for my benefit or am I doing it out of a pursuit of God? And it's this. When you think about your Christian life, when you think about your walk with God, is it primarily identified by benefits that you get out of it? What you're consuming? What you're getting? What does it mean for you to be a Christian? Oh, I listen to these podcasts and I go to church on Sunday, and, um, and I, I, do, I do all these things. But are you the end product of every aspect of your Christian life? <laughs> is the end result kind of something that gets dumped into you? Or does your Christian look, life look like, man, I don't even know how he did it through me or why, but by God's grace, he used me, and, and man, he made a difference in this person's life. <laughs> he, 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 he had me share something, and and I can see that this person is a new creation. They're different because of what God did through me. And I don't even know how, but it was just the overflow of the Spirit working in me. Uh, do, do you feel drawn towards, towards taking what's been placed in you and putting it out into others? The crowd was always full of end users. It was full of consumers. It was full of those that were just trying to get more into themselves. But, but the disciples of Jesus were vessels of living water. Is that, is that how you would describe your life? Are the things that you can do, is God bringing things to mind of like, man, what, what would that look like? What would it look like for me to, to have rivers of living water flow out of my heart? Um, there's, a, there's a guy who's a, who's a friend of mine. He's, he's been struggling uh, in a battle against cancer, and, um, and things aren't looking good. And... Um, uh, several of you in, in this room, actually, um, uh, his name's Keith, and, and, and several of you know him, and, um, and several of you in here had, had, had actually had a chance to read some of the comments that you left on, on his page, and um, man, that was an example of living water. That guy had living water flowing out of his heart. Uh, you know, 80-plus comments of people saying, like, man, here's, what, here's how my life is different. Here's how I'm closer to Jesus because of what you did. And as I read those last night, man, I was just, I was just struck of, by, man, that's what we want. That's who we want to be. I'm praying that God will do something miraculous there. Um, you know, we don't, we don't know God's will. We can see what he's done through his life. And, um, but, man, it was just so impactful for me. That, that's what rivers of living water looks like.
are there people that are closer to Jesus that that are that are living in a better relationship with God because of what he's done through you? How do we step out of this crowd? The last point, the crowd assumes uniformity and agreement and shouts down those with questioning voices, but a disciple speaks up for wisdom and truth. They, they just assumed that nobody believed in Jesus, right? They said, hey, hey, do any of the leaders believe in this guy? How, how can you follow after him? None of us. And Nicodemus is kind of sitting in the back like, uh, <laughs> uh, hey, hey, guys, um, hey, should we hear him out? Maybe he's got some good things to say. Do we rush to judgment around here? Is that how we do this? He spoke up as boldly as he could in that moment, and his boldness grew over time. But the crowd is always trying to, to push down any voice that doesn't agree with them. The crowd just wants everybody to be uniform. If you're really going to follow Jesus, you're going to stick out. It's going to look different. You're going to open yourself up to criticism and ridicule. But there's no greater thing that you can do. Are you a voice for truth even when it's unpopular and it puts you at risk for rejection? Man, my, my, my deepest prayer for you today is that, that you would experience what it's like to be filled up with the Holy Spirit to a place where you are overflowing into the lives of others. And if you are, man, there's no greater encouragement you could receive to keep doing it. And if you're not, I want you to know that that he wants to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, that you are able today, Super Bowl Sunday, January, nope, February 4, <laughs> 2018. Something way bigger than an Eagles victory could happen in your heart today. And he can fill you up, not for your benefit, not so you can grab your ticket to heaven. Not only that, but so that he can begin to use you into the lives of the others. It's the most profound and powerful thing that he'll ever do. And I encourage you to pursue it. Join me in prayer.